0: You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose speaks with Paul Sheffield,
1: president of the Institution of Civil Engineers, about the role his organisation is playing
0: in helping green the built environment sector.
1: Paul, thank you for joining me. Um, with net zero, one of the things that obviously comes to mind is can we build our way to net zero? And that is a question for engineers. So it's a very broad statement, but is the future to, to get into this pathway about things like new infrastructure and new buildings and bringing that science to it? What's what's your what's your view on that point?
0: A really, it's a really interesting and pretty fundamental point, I think actually, Summit, because um, the, the speed with which we build new, buildings and infrastructure um, in the, across the whole country at the moment. I think we, every year we build or replace about half a percent mm. of the existing building stock. Um, so consequently, just doing the maths, um, 20 years, we build 10% of the, of the, of the building stock. Um, so by definition, therefore, um, 90% of buildings are more than 20 years old. And this conversation we're having about uh, net zero had never even been conceived 20 years ago. Of course. And So we can design and build fabulously well-insulated and well-designed, low-energy, efficient, low energy yeah. efficient um, buildings, but the big win is actually going to be on, on retrofitting modern systems into old buildings. Um, and without doing that, we're, we're really, we've got to wait a long time um, to, to have a big impact on, on the existing building stock. So I think um, you know, we, we, we definitely need to make sure that new things that we build are done efficiently and um, um, ecologically, but we mustn't forget the huge um, rump of the old building estate and infrastructure estate that we that we use every day.
1: Let's talk about that. So we're sitting in a lovely building here. You're building here just in, in, in Westminster. It's probably, I don't know, 100, 150 years old. Um, so much of London is like that. You know, the flat I live in is 130 years old. How do we go about in this country keeping our history, but also trying to upgrade and retrofit? It, again, that looks to me like we're looking for new materials or new ways of doing that may not even have been invented as yet.
0: Well, I think I think with the retrofitting um into old buildings, it's it's very the the about 30% of the electricity that is generated across the UK is used in um lighting and heating buildings. Um so, even a listed building can um, be improved by going to low-energy low lighting and um, better insulation and, and more efficient um, building um, heating systems. To some extent, that depends whether you're on gas, whether you're on electricity, and which part of the country you're, you're in. Um, so there is a, quite a bit you can do. But clearly, if you're in a building like this one, which is listed, you can't do anything mm. about the single glazed crittle windows that you've got in the in the building. Um, and clearly investing in an upgrade in the, in the heating systems is a big capital expense. Um, you know, there are quite a few of the energy companies around now who are moving into the space of, of funding the, mm. um, the replacement of, of heating systems um, on the basis that they then get paid over the next 25 years for the energy they supply. Um, so, but that's a quite a complicated financing funding mechanism.
1: Have you tried to do something here in, in this building?
0: Uh, To be quite frank, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, it looks like you've put in some lighting at the very least. Lighting down to LEDs, yes. All the the easy easy wins have been done. But uh, I think you'll find the the, the CHP and the heating systems are a bit more complicated to uh, to deal with.
1: What's the role of the ICE in this challenge? Because obviously uh, you're a membership body as as such, aren't you, really, realistically. Um, But also engineers look... To you for a lead as an as an organisation. So, what are you t- what are you telling your members about this net zero challenge?
0: Well, just perhaps to set set a little bit of the scene, <clears throat> the Institution of Civil Engineers is a is a charity, yeah. um, and we have two fundamental um, goals in our in our charter. Um, first of all, to ensure that all of our chartered members um, have a a, um, a suitable academic level. Um, so, post post-graduation or post-qualification they then have to study uh, the art and science of civil engineering and uh, improving the lives of society to demonstrate that they are um, uh, professional people, pre- yeah. pre- professional yeah. competence and we have an obligation to make sure that professional competence is, um, is understood and, and passed. Okay. We then have a secondary obligation of making sure that that professional competence is um, is sustained throughout their working life. There's no point just being competent the day you qualify, Mm -hmm. you've got to better demonstrate that you can understand uh, the the, um, enormity of your task for for your working life. Um, Taken outside that context, I think the Institution of Civil Engineers is very closely positioned with with government and with political organizations who do look to us as an independent source of of advice Mm -hmm. around a whole range of infrastructure um, projects, whether that's particularly pertinent today, whether it's high speed two or whether it's um, um, highways, transportation, whether it's buildings and uh, building systems. And so in relation to net target zero, um, government has legislated that by 2050, we should be a net, yep. uh, net zero producer, um, um, carbon producer, um, CO2 producer, then I think the ICE is in a really strong position to put forward some thought leadership to help individuals, to help companies, to help other, other bodies, to actually start to map a route towards that carbon zero.
1: What do you think of that target? Some people say it's doable, but very difficult. Some people say it can be done quicker. And some people say it can't ever be done. What's your personal view?
0: Um, I think unless you set a goal, you'll never achieve it. Um, and actually, once you've set a goal and you start um, putting in place targets um, and baby steps to to get there, then I think it'll really start to crystallize in people's minds what needs to be done. I think there's no doubt that achieving net zero by 2050, which is only 30 years away, Mm. is gonna be a huge challenge. Um, And I think, um, you know, one um, wake up call, one reminder that every every organization should perhaps think about is, is trying to come up with their own strategy as to where they want to be in five years' time, in yeah. 10 years' time, and then, and then in 30 yeah. years' time, because we've got to deal with this in, in relatively baby steps, I think.
1: Is it difficult, do you think, because obviously we all want to make the planet better, but we're all used to living very selfish and short-term lives. Mm-hmm. You know, people are CEOs for maybe three years. You join a company maybe four or five years. This is a long-term vision that requires government, requires business, requires institutions like yourselves and the public to stay on board. For 30 years
0: and, and, beyond. and beyond and beyond and I, and I think the other thing that can um, adds to the complexity of it is that um, technology is moving yes. so fast yes um, and you know if, if we if we're not careful we could waste money we could waste carbon mm. um, by implementing the wrong solutions um, and if I paint a little bit of a picture around what Please I might, might mean there. If we, if we look at the, the future of, um, of, of um, motor vehicle transport, yeah. <clears throat> you know, the government has said that by 2035, they do not want to, um, or they will ban the sale of petrol and diesel cars. Yeah. Um, UK has got 30 million cars um, on the roads now and a very, very small percentage of those are electric. So by 2035, no more petrol, diesel. Um, so how do we provide electricity to the places where we park our cars, Yes. either at a railway station or the office, um, or outside your house? And people, many people who live in urban streets aren't able to no. park their cars outside their I house yeah, absolutely. because they're full, so you yeah. park your car two or three blocks away. Yeah. So if, if, we, if we move too fast towards providing a solution there, um, over the next 20 years, we've got to dig up every single street in urban Britain. Think about the carbon of that. Which is a massive amount of carbon. But if we actually think a little bit further ahead and think, are these cars actually going to be driven by us or are they going Mm. to be robotic? And in some parts of the country, I'm pretty sure they're going to be robotic. So that then changes where you need to provide the power, because your car can drop you off, can do another ride with somebody else, and when it's not being needed, it can go out of town to a charging station. To a charging yeah. station. Yeah. So are we going to have multi-story car parks mm-hmm. outside towns with a photovoltaic farm and a, and a windmill providing electricity to regenerate or repower 500 cars? So I think there's a danger, I think, that technology can very quickly make short term solutions redundant if we're not careful. Um, so we've got to have a pretty clear view of how we map our way to the future.
1: One of the biggest challenges, I suppose, in your industry is what we build things out of, concrete. We haven't really got, I mean, you know, bamboo in parts of Asia is being used in, in some modern designs. People are looking at more sustainable forms of whether it's concrete or, or some sort of uh, building material. How big of an issue is concrete for your industry?
0: Um, well, I think, you know, two of the, of the real um, backbones of the industry are concrete and steel. Um, and they're both hugely, um, carbon intensive products Um, and you know whether it's mining the aggregates and the minerals, whether it's uh, manufacturing the cement very energy intensive or even producing the steel through smelters Um, and there is a lot of um, technology development these these days that is um, quite interesting. There are a lot of trials being done using um, cement-free concrete early days Mm -hmm. Um, but you can um, or reasonably successful trials are underway, but it's in fairly small scale. So whether you will ever be able to produce enough concrete to build what we need to build without, uh, without cement, you've got to replace it with something, and that mm-hmm. something is always going to be an energy um, uh, consumptive material. So um, ground granulated blast furnace slag, for example, GGBFS, um, that comes as a byproduct of, of <laughs> manufacturing of, of coal-fired it, it's, it's
1: a very difficult quandary, isn't it? Because you need to build yourself out of all of this, but the the whole f- process of building is you're sort of adding to the problem. It's it, it's a tough one for engineers to crack them th- themselves.
0: Yeah, and but again, if we if we look at technology, <coughs> um, bituminous road products are highly um, intent, en- energy yes. intensive as well. There are trials being done right now. Um, they've they've been done in Italy. There has some trials being done now in um, near Oxfordshire. Um, Embedding some graphene in, yes. um, in the blacktop um, for, for road surface repairs. And the evidence is tending to indicate that these uh, this surfacing lasts two to three times longer yeah. than traditional. Yeah. So just by using clever new materials, you might be able to improve the, improve the life and longevity. And if you can if it lasts two or three times longer, then you know by definition you will Yes, it's more sustainable. To, Abs- yeah. It's much more sustainable. What do
1: you think about technologies like graphene? Because there's a lot talked about that. And it was discovered here in Manchester, in, in Manchester, and you know, you look at it and you think it actually could be one of these new materials that helps us. Um, so, is material science something that engineers are looking at as as a way of guiding us through this?
0: Yeah, like I, I think graphene could be a transformational material. Um, it's got twenty times the tensile strength of steel, yep. and it's a fraction of the of the density. So it's got the potential to be completely transformational in in many, many respects. Um, You know, the research that's going on at the moment is how do you mate it on an industrial scale? Yes. Um, Because for it to be able to take over from other materials, you've you've got to crack that conundrum. Um, And it's quite early days. I I don't know how long it's going to be before we get to get to that point. Um, But But in um, 30 years
1: time, we may have materials that we don't know about today.
0: And and if you look at, you know the, the water. The water industry um, has huge challenges with yes. replacing with, with um, leaking pipes. pipes. Yeah. Um, a lot of these pipes were put were buried under the ground 60, 80, hundred years ago, with a yes. design life of probably twenty or thirty. Yes. No real surprise that they that they're <laughs> bursting. Um, so you can conceive a day when possibly you've got a, a graphene um, filament that you can blow down a pipeline mm-hmm. internally um, and expand it um to create a, a, a new surface which is then um very robust and is going to withstand um, um leakage so you know potentially someone like graphic graphene could significantly improve the um the way in which we lo- um, improve the longevity of underground pipework.
1: what do your colleagues think about net zero do they look at it as well yes yeah, it's just one of those challenges that we're gonna face or do you think people are excited about you know, now we have a target. It often focuses minds. And that's what this whole platform is about, is business focuses its mind on this challenge. Do you, do you, do you talk to colleagues about this? What, what's their sort of general view on this? I know it's, it's not difficult to be, like, specific. But yeah,
0: look, I, I think for the people who are engaged with the debate, I think they find it a, a fascinating challenge. Mm. Um, and I think there's no doubt that having, having legislated for it it is going to force companies to um, create their own route map and, and and come up with strategies to get there. But I think uh, not only our industry, but every industry, whether it's motor manufacturing or, yeah. or uh, catering, um, you know, we've got to somehow try to avoid everybody reinventing the wheel because lots and lots of companies are going to be doing the same thing, yes. making the same mistakes. Instead of working together, let's, let's yeah. learn from each other rather yeah. than um, than do that.
1: Uh, when you think of um Civil engineers, you kind of think I think they build something. So they're building uh, a building to live in, or they're building a railway station, or a road, or something like that. Do you believe big infrastructure like the 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 commitment to HS2, things like you know Crossrail? Maybe we're having bridges. Maybe we're having these things are actually a way of better tackling our challenge because if you communicate people better if you get the economy moving in other areas it has windfalls in other ways that saves journey times and saves carbon in some other ways so in in a way it's a funny conundrum of building something which seems to cost a lot from the environmental point but actually long term gives us something more
0: yeah well, I I think um... You know we're probably not only not solely focused on a net carbon zero but it's an entire sort of sustainability yes. um, issue as well and if we are able to um, improve connectivity um, in this country between north and south for example, then it probably means that people far more people can um, live locally live yeah. locally wherever mm. local means to them mm. um, and um, you know that's got to be a better way of working than Um, putting more and more concrete in in London to build more and more housing in in London if people can be based in Leeds or Manchester or Glasgow um, with that level of connectivity and I think um, You know getting away from um, CO2 emissions from such a a huge fleet of Petrol and diesel vehicles driving up and down the M1 and the M6 and the the M80 has got to be a a goal and an ambition um, of, of, of all governments so Um, Trains are known to be um, some of the most environmentally um, um, advanced means of mass 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 transport. So it has to be a a sensible thing for the long term. Um,
1: And what do you see the future being? Are you optimistic about how we tackle this?
0: I'm always optimistic. (laughs) And I I think... um, I think civil engineers and engineers are problem solvers mm. um, and we've been posed a problem that we need to solve, um, I'm quite sure we won't solve it as quickly as some people would like us to, um, it's easy to criticise, yes. it's sometimes much harder to, to actually come up with the, um, the right answer at the right speed um, and as I mentioned earlier on I think there's a, there is a danger that sometimes you knee jerk into um, a, a rapid solution that has to be done tomorrow which might actually be the wrong solution. Um, So let's take time to plan our way through this um, so that we can actually achieve something in the 30-year timescale that the government has set. Well, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.